said my Tam and Betty hey, Don't treat me right He just come round my arms And he leaves There's no end he loves Hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with young songwriters about the craft of songwriting, live music performance, and the power of music. Our guest this week is Carson McCone, a tremendously talented young artist out of Austin, Texas. Austin's one of my favorite places in the world. I try to get down there whenever I can, particularly when the wind is blowing cold up here in the vast Midwestern hinterlands. There are a lot of towns with great music scenes, but in Austin, Music is part of the very fabric of the city. You can just feel it as you walk around and interact with the great people there. Carson is a native of Austin. I've heard her refer to herself as a unicorn, as there are many musicians who call Austin home, but not many who were born and bred there as well. She spent a portion of her youth in some of Austin's finest dive bars and honky-tonks, where she had the opportunity to perform regularly and hone her chops while still a teenager. Carson's music is a reflection of her personality. It is honest, intelligent, and witty, and those traits come through in our discussion as well. She has a wonderful new album out, Carousel. Carousel was produced by Mike McCarthy in Nashville, Tennessee. Mike has produced some of my favorite albums ever by the band Spoon, as well as records by Patty Griffin and Leanne Womack. Carson's songs are to a certain degree a product of her upbringing in Texas with unmistakable traditional country influences but she brings her modern and pointed spin to those traditions, and the results are quite compelling. I highly recommend you give Carousel some listens. So let's get to it. Here's my discussion with Carson McComb. You can ride you pony, drive you with truck, but if you don't feel right, you'll be shit I love. Carson, uh, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm in uh, Tell You What Studios in the Tell You What Towers in Wilmette, Illinois. You are in Austin, is that correct? I'm actually just a little bit outside of Austin. I'm in Buda, Texas. All right. Well, that brings me to my first question about your background. You were raised in Austin, am I right? That's right. Okay, so kind of hard to escape music, music influence in Austin. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the kind of music you were exposed to growing up and what kind of influences were around your house and elsewhere? Sure. Um, So my folks, neither of my folks are musicians, but uh, all their friends are. (laughs) And um, they were in the beer business for a long time. So, you know, they found themselves at all the local clubs. My dad was a distributor and um, from a young age I was you know being carried around to you know little bars like the Dog and Death Pub or places like Threadgills, um, Cactus Cafe, uh, spots like that and then going to see live music with them and you know Austin is a pretty family-friendly city too. So, So they would take you to shows when you were little? Yeah, and luckily, I mean, we had pretty similar tastes 
and music. My dad was a huge bluegrass fan. Um, you know, my mom loved songwriters. And so, you know, we, I got to go see Dr. Ralph Stanley at mm -hmm. the Texas Union Ballroom when I was like 12. It was just incredible. And um, a guy named Slade Cleaves opened, who's a, sure. a, a local here. And, uh, you know, so that turned us on to Slade. And, you know, we've since bought all of his records. And um, so kind of folks like that, like local legends, but then also Austin being like sort of this music city, you know, people will pass through here on their tours. Right. Um, and so we would get a lot of outside touring bands as well. So, um, you know, there's music every night of the week here. And I was lucky to be, to be surrounded by that. You know, now when I, when I go on the road, um, you know, and we'll play in small towns, it's like an event. It's like, Oh, there's music happening tonight. Right. Um, and so that's been really eye opening. And I realize how lucky I am to have grown up in a music city, um, I mean, you know, there are definitely challenges that come along with that because it's so saturated with live music. Um, right. But I feel really, really lucky to have grown up in this city. So you said your mother was interested in, in songwriters. So would that be like folk style, country, yeah, across the board? Yeah, I mean, kind of across the board, you know, yeah. Leonard Cohen mm -hmm. was, you know, Dylan, um, you know, Patty Griffin, Natalie Merchant, uh just all all across the board and then of course you know i'm a texan so folks like guy clark and uh towns van zant yes we'll get to that in a minute how about when did you start um, playing music or singing or any of that yeah well i i grew up like i said neither of my folks were really musical my dad can sing but they didn't play instruments and so from a young age, they um, they had me taking music lessons. I took violin okay. lessons, and I did that for years. Stick stuck with the violin for years. Yeah, and I I didn't ever really like get into it. You know, it was more of like, oh, it's this thing that I have to do, like, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that my parents are having me do, and and Homework. it's like, yeah, kind of like that's how I sort of approached it. Until I met this woman, Darcy, who's sort of um, a local legend here in Austin. Um, she's played with numerous bands and has her own, own career, and she plays guitar and fiddle and, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But she really introduced me to, like, fiddle playing. And, cool. um, and so then when I met Darcy, Darcy DeVille, she, she had me, you know, she was like, well, bring in that Dixie Chicks record and let me teach you how to play this line. Or, like, here's this old you know, Irish fiddle tune, let's learn that. And that was the stuff that I was into. And so... And how old were you at this point? I think I was about 14. Okay. Maybe thir 13 or 14. Um, and that's when I started taking musically a little music a little bit more seriously besides just like singing along in the car. I mean, I obviously had, I had my own um, interests already. Like I was following this music or that music, but I never thought it was something that I would really do. Right. Um, until about that age when, when I started working with Darcy and I also, um, I was gifted a mandolin by my uncle. Hmm. And that was the first instrument that I learned how to strum and make chords with. And that's when I started singing. Okay. Um, so about 15, 
uh, I started doing a little bit more with like mandolin. And then when I was 16, I'd say that's when I started playing out in bars. So when did songwriting start for you? Um, I think it began long before it actually like um, came came to being for me. I think it was a thing in the back of my head. I was I always was writing, you know, even from a young age, um, whether it was like little poems or or prose things. And I when I had the chance, I would take classes in school that. You know, I took like a, a poetry class or a creative writing class when I was in middle school and right. I was always um, English was like the only thing I ever did well in in school um, <laughs> I was a big reader um, my mom's a writer and okay. an avid reader and so you know the house we were always trying to find room for more bookshelves because <laughs> the <laughs> books never stopped coming um, and so when I was when I got a guitar um, and I started learning how to play chords and stuff. That's when the writing and the playing started coming together and and I started writing songs, um, which, you know, started out at first just as sort of collections of things I'd been, been writing and then I would sort of just put them to music. Um, you know, as I began to learn more about the instrument, you know, now it just kind of depends on how how things come to me, how songs hit me, but usually it's a little bit more hand in hand these days. But when I first started writing, it was definitely like, okay, I have these poems and I want to try to put them into song or. Okay. So do you now see, uh, do you now feel or, or sense a difference when you are sitting down to write a poem or write a song? Or is there still kind of that overlap that sometimes you write poetry that t- turns into a song? Um, I mean, there's always overlap. I think when I, when I, try to journal or write um, away from a guitar I'll end up stealing from myself whether or not I ended up I sat down to write a song um, or I was just trying to sort of clear my mind I'll I'll have phrases that that I end up wanting to throw into a song here or there um, and then other times too you know there there will be some sort of melody or chord progression that I find myself playing over and over again and and I want to save it because I don't have uh, anything lyrically for it yet and um, right. so yeah, I just find myself like sort of keeping notebooks or voice memos of, of things and and then sometimes you know it's it's really sweet when it just happens that you sit down and the two come at the same time right <laughs> but uh but that it is um it's I guess that's more rare for me that that kind Okay, now uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Do you, how do you feel that um, your experiences hanging out in bars and with older people as a young person, do you, do you feel that shaped you in any specific way? It made you maybe wise beyond your years or cynical or um, have some kind of effect on you as, as, as an artist perhaps or maybe as a person? Yeah, I mean, I guess because I was sort of surrounded by older folks from a younger age and especially this time I've spent in bars you know whereas I think I mean I definitely have had my fun you know (laughs) I've had some fun in my life although I haven't had some led some like tragic life (laughs) I uh I pick up on that sort of stuff and I I think I I've you know had the chance of meeting many a character in my 
still short life, but um, so far, but, but I, uh, you know, I definitely was picking on, picking up on these like sort of darker vibes, I guess a little earlier on than, than some people, um, you know, I guess possibly fodder for the writer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's, it's funny. My folks had a friend who, um, have a friend who is a musician and has a studio in town and, um, we do very different things, but you know, they, they were just like, well, you know, you should, you should hang out with him because you know, he could maybe give you some advice or whatever. And I, so I went over to this guy's house and a lovely dude, good friend of mine. I played him like a couple of the first songs I'd ever written. And this is when I was like 16 or so. Okay. And I, on my way back to my parents' house, which is where I was living, I was still in high school. My mom called me and she said, Hey, we just got off the phone with Terry and, um, he's a little worried about you. <laughs> he's like, he thinks you might be depressed. Oh, brother. <laughs> and I was like, but you know, I'm, I actually, I have a really great, and I always have really a great relationship with my folks. And I think they, they've always known that I, I'm all right. And they know yes. where that stuff comes from. And I, and the cool thing is that they've always been incredibly supportive, whether or not I'm singing about, you know, whatever sad, whatever sad, destructive thing I'm singing about, they know that it's um, coming from a place of me trying to figure everything out. <laughs> so yes. it's been cool to have, it's, it's really, really special that I have that sort of support in my life and that also they are able to stay out of my way enough, you know, even yes. when, even when I have been self-destructive, you know, and I think that that's an incredible th- gift Um, that not many kids have growing up, you know, is having folks who care deeply about them and want to support them and can also stay out of the way and let them make their own (laughs) mistakes. Yes. As a, as a parent of a young singer songwriter myself, that is a, uh, a lesson that has to be learned as a parent and, uh, it is not easy, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's talk about, uh, you, you touched on this earlier. Um, I want to ask how, important the Texas kind of songwriting tradition is to your approach to your craft. So you mentioned Guy Clark, Towns Van Zandt, you know, Lucinda Williams, Rodney Crowell. Have you, have you studied these songwriters? Do you try and follow what they do or have you just kind of through exposure to their work, do you think it has influenced you? Oh man. I mean, all of the above, but yeah, the thing about like Guy and Towns, um, is that they, they, really are great, great storytellers, um, as well as being poets. And I guess not that those two things are necessarily different, but when I think about, you know, the lyrical style of some of Towns's songs that I find more open-ended, um, as opposed to some of the songs that are just like really telling a, like a linear story. Um, I, I don't, I think I'm definitely drawn to the stuff that's a little bit more open-ended um uh a little bit more open to interpretation um maybe it's just (laughs) i'm not that good at telling stories but uh but i i really do like um that sort of writing style um so i think in a way i feel i do feel though that like the texas tradition is kind of a little bit more storytelling and i'm not sure that i've ever really found found my voice there or and maybe that's just not 
um, an interest of mine is to, to write like that. But, um, you know, the stuff, like the one-liner stuff that's, that's in their songs where, I mean, it could even be the, inside the, of a story song, you know, just the, some... The turn of a phrase. Yeah, the turn of a phrase or, um, you know, sort of painting a scene rather than, like, telling the story. Um, right. That's definitely well, something I try to, like, hold myself to um, when, I, when I write. Well, I'm going to bring up a particular song of yours if I can, because it, it kind of put me in the mind of um, Guy Clark's song, A Good Luck Man. Um, yeah. The lyrics to that kind really, of all your songs, really, to me, struck me as closest to, to poetry. I think it really stands on its own lyrically, structurally. And it kind of reminded me of Guy Clark because of the the structure. You know, you had five-line verses or stanzas, whatever you want to call them, and the last line of each was different, yet they call back to the last lines of the other verses. They kind of reflect on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk about that, the writing of that song and um, maybe if, if you were thinking about that kind of structure when you wrote it? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I was actually, well, on two accounts. I was just in Nashville a couple days ago for about a week, and um, I uh, there's a song, Magnolia Wind, that I, I believe was a, a co-write, but Guy Clark did it, and it was, but it was a co-write, and I just went and saw this guy, the other, the other writer of that song recently, because I heard that he wrote that song with Guy. Okay. Uh, but, th- but this specific tune, Magnolia Wind, was one that I was listening to when I wrote Good Luck Man. And I, when I find songs that I like or that really speak to me, I, I just like, w- whether or not I like it or not, but I will like sit there and listen to a song on repeat and like people think I'm crazy, you know. <laughs> um, but I will do that. And that's what I was doing with that, that Guy Clark song. And... Um, so oh, wait, I, that's was when not, I, I was I was I was in the ballpark. Then. You to- totally, yeah, okay. yeah, just right on the nose. And um, so that was a song I was um, going through. Um, I was losing my mind a little bit, <laughs> and uh, I was sitting on the couch at my old house on uh, East Fiftieth Street in Austin, and I was I had so much going on in my heart and in my head, and I was like, I know I have so much to work with here, like just come out of me. Come on. I'm ready. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) pen in hand. And I'd sat on the couch for all day long. And I was just like beating my head against the table. Like, where is it? Come on. And, um, I finally gave up and I just like turned the lamp off and went to fall asleep on the couch. And, uh, so I put my head down on the pillow or, you know, armrest or whatever, the couch. And as soon as I closed my eyes, I sat right up, I turned the lamp back on and I wrote the first line of that song. Uh And I turned the light off and I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I, I woke up and I wrote the whole thing. Wow. And that's, you know, like, that's the closest thing I think I've ever gotten to, like, that one just came kind of, you know, yes. well, after like beating myself over the head for a day, but. Closest, you were about to say, closer you come dead to feeling like the song just came to you. Yeah. 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 After five hours of nothing. Exactly. Well, at least five. But it's also that I was, like I said, I was just in Nashville and, um, I have a good friend, Chris, who, uh, was a guitar tech on Leonard Cohen's last tour before he passed away. And he was, uh, he gave that record to, to Leonard. And 
I mean, this is and this was all just a story that was told to me, but okay. um, but Chris said that that Leonard said he listened to it and he really liked that song specifically, which is like I don't know who knows if that's true. I'd like to believe it's true. <laughs> but I'd like yeah, to that think kinda, that I'd like to think that away. Leonard Cohen and I have something in common now. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so that's pretty cool. That's great. Forgiveness is a funny word We use and we lie We give ourselves a heavy dose All just to keep from crying Can't you see? Oh, can't you see that it's blinding? You kind of hit on something there when you were talking about lying on the couch for five hours. You've been writing songs for a long time. Are there things that you habits you've developed now or tricks you have to try and coax the muse out of you are there are there any tricks you have when when it's not working um no i'm really bad i'm really bad at it (laughs) okay Uh, but i uh i do find that like i'm definitely in a dry spell as far as like finishing anything right now um and i think a lot of it is just because i've been out of shape like i'm not writing as often as I had been the past couple of years. Okay. Um, whether it be, like be sitting down to, to, to finish a song or just writing in general, journaling or anything like that. Um, and I've been on the road a bunch. And so finding, finding the, the time and space is hard, but it's like one thing I've found is um, that I realize now, like if you don't write all the time, you will absolutely be out of shape and especially like right now I think that my musical interests are sort of shifting right and so like I'm like oh I I would love to write a song like this or a song like that or you know and so but my writing ability because I've had this dry spell hasn't really caught up with where my interests are so I'm like still trying to navigate that and I I find that I'll like hold myself to some sort of standard where I'm like well this isn't as different from what I used to be doing so it's not good you know, and then I won't pursue right. it, and it's that that will kill you. You know, you just have the to do self, it. The self, the self censor. Yeah, yeah, and so um, you know, I think I who was it that I don't remember who said this, but you know, to be be a fearless artist and or a, or a careless artist and um, like a a rabid editor or something like that. You know, so all just get it out of you. And and one thing I will say, and this is doesn't necessarily pertain only to songwriting when I'm on the road I, I'm like oh, I really I really need to be writing and journaling um, but it can be really hard to like sit down but first of all finding the time to do that is hard but then like you know it feels strange to sort of just like tell yourself about how the tour is going and you're like well I smell bad and like I drank too much and like everybody in the van's pissed off today because whatever. And yes. <laughs> and, and so you don't see the, 
the benefit of that in the in the, in yeah. the moment you're doing it. Well, then you don't see the beautiful little things that happen during your day necessarily. Um, and it's hard to sit down and, and write to yourself like that. And so what I've found is that writing postcards has been really, really great because, I mean, even just writing someone's address down, it, right. it gives you so much purpose. And then I'll find that I will sit down and write, you know, four or five postcards and, um, and I will inevitably have little phrases that I end up being like, man... Yeah, and I'll I'll go copy it down in my notebook or something, and just like, wow, you'll you'll, no, you'll notice things about your day that you know you know you'll overhear or you'll you'll just you know sitting in a coffee shop or something and you just watching somebody and it's like you'll find a cool way to say something about that. And, so um, the so setting yourself up the pressure of having to write something interesting to someone else makes you maybe a little more attentive, or even I just like maybe just have a little bit more compassion for it. Like you okay. can, you can, you know, it's like, it's hard to find the time to do something for yourself, you know, even though you know it's going to be good for yourself or good so, for you. So now when you go on the road, do you pack like 200 post postcards with stamps on them? Yeah, I definitely, I carry around stamps in my wallet and I, I stop at gas stations or, you know, coffee shops, they'll have them. Um, yep. And, you know, it's funny. You'll sit down. I'll sit down to journal or try to write something, and it's like I can't get anything out. And then inevitably I'll sit down and write a postcard, and there's never enough room. You know, I'll always want to write more. And it's like that's all I needed to, like, get the get this thing rolling. That's great. I think you could be on to something there. Let's talk about your live music experience a little bit. You, you talked about going to see shows when you were younger. Um, are there any particular performers or uh, – style of performing that you took in as a fan that you think have influenced you as a performer or maybe more interestingly as a writer? Hmm. I've been given some really cool opportunities in my still, you know, like I'm still very early on and trying to have a career in this sort of deal, but um, I've been given some cool opportunities to open for some bigger acts. Um, Shaky Graves, uh, Gary Clark Jr., for example, um, just like having a sense of like what goes into a show um, has been really cool. Watching these bigger artists play and then having them then invite me to be a part of part of their shows. Um, I also so like the flow so in terms of that playing before someone else's audience versus playing for people who came to see you. Yeah, that's a completely different it's, thing, right? Yeah, it is, and it's also like it's a it's a great amount of pressure. Um, it's also like this really great, um, challenge, you know, to try and win an audience over. And sometimes that is done by having a great rowdy set where one song leads into the next, um, with no stopping. And some of it has to do with really using space, um, and silence to your advantage and not, being insecure about taking time. So you've been performing live I mean, since you were 16, right? Yeah. A lot yeah, ever since then. Yeah, do quite you, a bit. So do you feel that that live performance is a big part of what you are as a songwriter? So in other words, you playing your songs live is is 
what is important about the songs, about writing the songs? Um, I think I get a lot out of that, yeah. I think I, I do enjoy performing. Um, I've also, you know, been really uncomfortable on stage before and had, you know, some sort of straight stage fright or anxiety or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And I think it's funny that stuff sort of comes at the weirdest times when you least expect it. And I know people deal with it on various degrees or, you know, on various levels. Right. To various degrees. But um, I I really do, like, I <laughs> I get so much out of, out of a live performance, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> it will just, like either like make make or break me in in an evening or whatever um but i that's it's really important you know i don't know if i could just just write songs and not ever play i enjoy it i really do enjoy performing um, how would you define in your terms what a good live performance is for you well i have definitely been to see shows that were like incredible uh whatever's going on on stage, whether it be incredible singing or, in, or incredible playing, um, and not felt like I was a part of it at all. Um, right. Which is, you know, like not, that's okay. <laughs> but I, the shows I like to go see are ones where um, the performer and the performance itself is a little bit more human, you know. Um, but I think the shows that um, I've been most moved by have been shows where I felt like the the performance let me in a little bit, you know. Yes. So you're trying to so as a performer, you're trying to make that connection with the audience. Yeah, and sometimes you go way too far and you end up like totally just making a fool of yourself and you you're like, "Oh shit, they know I'm a loser now." <laughs> but uh but then there's, you know, there's this like endearing quality of just like letting people I mean, I even noticed that like when I was waiting tables, you know, like if you can, you like, I don't know, there's, there's art to just walking around and being a human being, you know, it's like, and that's, that's the stuff that really kind of moves me. Um, or I, that is universal. I think, you know, not everybody's going to be a prodigy or, or, you know, this like incredible singer, but there's, there's something when there's something human about the performance, wherever that comes out, Right. Uh, that's really powerful. Um, so let's talk about the new album. Um, yeah. Carousel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you worked with Mike McCarthy as producer on this. Um, he worked um, most famously, in my opinion, with Spoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he produced the album Ga Ga Ga, which is a favorite of mine. I, I think that's some of the most well-crafted studio pop music of the last 20 years. Um and now you recorded your previous album live in the studio, right? Mm-hmm. Before, and so this seems to me a, a, quite a change for you to go in the studio with someone like Mike. How, how did you feel about that? Um, well, I really, I mean, you know, we did all the stuff with Mike live too. You know, it was, you did okay. I mean, pretty much there was uh, Sam who who plays Steel. He was like deathly ill when we went to get the record, so he had to overdub Steel. I did some overdub. <laughs> dubs on vocals um you know the violin on dram shop was overdubbed but for the most part the you know the electric guitar acoustic guitar bass drums and actually most of the vocals were all done all live within two days 
Um, oh, wow. But yeah, but the thing about working with my, well, you know, I just, I'd never worked with a producer before. So I was really excited to like, especially because I was re-recording songs to kind of like, just see like where we could take stuff. Like how, right. you know, how can we, what can we do with this? Like how far can we push this? And, and, you know, Mike was really cool because I think even when songs would change and I would like get excited about where they were going musically, Mike would be like, I don't think you need to change what you're doing vocally. Like just perform, like just sing the song and right. like the stuff that's happening underneath you, like just let it take it somewhere else. But you, this is where you can really shine. And I, I don't think you need to take it anywhere else necessarily. Um, which was really cool. Cause then I, I really focused on my performance and, um, but yeah, Mike just sort of, he created this environment where, uh, we could just sort of take chances and like, um, but it was all really natural, you know? Let me interrupt you for a second because you hit on something I was going to get to later when you talked about the way he told you to just sing. I have the impression from listening to the record that the productions, um, you know, there's different instrumentation, there's uh, different sounds on the on the different songs, but it seems as though the presentation is to emphasize the songs lyrically. Yeah, totally. And I think that's, you know, that's really cool to work with somebody who cares about what you have to say, you know. Mike really likes the songs, you know, and that was like when we were talking about which songs we wanted to record, you know, Mike was like, these are important and you need to give them, you need to give them another shot at being heard. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, one of the, the, the things I always find interesting to talk with songwriters about is, is there a time at which you think a song you have written is finished or is it more of a living thing that you can revisit later and have a new outlook on or even maybe change the song somewhat because you've changed as a writer so this is an interesting question for you because several of the songs on this record are, are songs you previously recorded mm -hmm. so so can you talk more about that decision to, to, to revisit those songs yeah definitely um i mean i do think that they're always they're sort of like living and breathing parts of us um i haven't change any of my lyrics um but definitely like the meanings behind some things have uh have morphed a little bit or at least they like they've taken on other meanings now too um right and so i think they get sung with with different intent sometimes which is cool um when when we decided to do this record and kind of give it like a really like a bigger release, you know, and sort of have this be a little bit more of like my, my introduction to like the big wide professional music world. Um, right. Which was just important for me to do as somebody who grew up in Austin, which is like this amazing little town, but can kind of feel like the entire world when you haven't been outside of it <laughs> because it has so much going on. Um, it was really important for me to, to revisit some of this stuff with a little bit more outside perspective and having a literal outside perspective with working with a producer um, and getting to sort of try things out and, and push myself in, in certain ways. And also then to like, you know, we did this record at, at this studio, Quad Studios on Music Row, and it was just like, 
I had never, I had never been in like a real studio, (laughs) which was cool, you know, and you don't have to do that. Um, obviously now you can, you can make an entire record on your phone. Um, and there's no problem doing that. I just hadn't had that experience and it was something that I really wanted to try. Um, and I think too, going outside of my element a little bit was really healthy for me. Um, especially even, even geographically. Yeah. 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 I mean, definitely geographically. Um, and also, so Mike and I talked about, you know, if I was to make this record with, you know, the way we did it, which was going, going to Nashville and I used, I used players that were all handpicked by Mike, except for Sam who played steel. And, you know, so other than Sam, I hadn't played with any of these people before. And that was like really incredible to just walk into a room and like, play the song on acoustic guitar and be like, here are the things that I think are important about the arrangement. Here's something that I'd like to accent here, blah, blah, blah. And then just like see what happened. And it opened up so many doors. Um, It's just really healthy to like change things up every now and then. Uh, Well, so anyways, besides that, treating it as sort of kind of like a different sort of debut record um, and giving it a real release, that's when we sat down and decided, okay, so which because I have a bunch of songs now, <laughs> you know, because it's been a couple of years since I put out that Good Luck Man record. And Mike yep. was like, you know, Mike and I chose these songs to be sort of like, okay, this is who Carson McCone is, introducing Carson McCone to the rest of the world. And it was really important that those early songs be on there. Okay, so let, let's talk a little, Let's talk about one in particular. Um, so let's talk about the song Lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of your older songs, they, they employ like sarcasm or irony to talk about difficult relationships. Um, Lucky uses kind of different tempos, right, to call out the sadness and strength of the narrator kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah. And in fact, at the end, she's holding the hot branding iron, which is kind of a strong, obviously, symbol. Yeah. The version on the new record seems less like playful the emotions seem to be more on display and not hidden behind the more traditional musical approach of the old one am i am i on the right track here yeah i think so i mean um i was actually just talking with a buddy of mine the other day about that song um like the space in the verses the the use of of space is like it brings much more focus to to the vocal and what's going on there and it's just like sort of it's allowing more to be going on with the lyrics you know there's more space <laughs> i don't know how to talk but it's like it's a and the two when it jumps to that faster tempo it's a little less like immediately honky tonk you know there's definitely right. there's definitely fiddle and steel on it which are like traditionally like country instruments but like the weird kind of like plucky guitar thing that's going on you know it's like <laughs> what is what's going on there so it really kind of like lets the vocal lead and it's not just saying like here's this honky-tonk song you know right about somebody cheating on you or whatever and i and i hope that that yeah comes across and there's a little bit more room for interpretation and like literally there is more space in the verses like the guitar is like really open yes that is definitely the, the impression i got you've got sweethearts all over this town and each thinks you're a good-hearted man but your secret at 
saw you perform this live um, it was a somewhat older crowd than maybe your usual crowd you kind of introed it by emphasizing the use of metaphor in the song yeah um, the song is called drugs um, obviously a metaphor but a pretty direct and dramatic uh, metaphor can you talk about this song and, and how this one came about sure um, this song uh, is actually the only song on the record that was co-written and um, it was a song that was written written by a guy named Chris Brecht, who's a good buddy of mine. Uh, and I heard Chris play this song because we played a festival together in Germany. And that that refrain over and over, I need drugs, I need drugs, I need drugs, it just like just driven home. And I was like, man, that is, <laughs> that's so great. I love it. And it just like, just drives it home. But the verses were, you know, I thought about like, I wanted to play it. And I but the verses were really like, I couldn't find things that like I felt really close to in the verses. Okay. And I, like I, some of there's, there were some lyrics that I just couldn't, I was like, they were great, but it was just not, I couldn't sing it and feel like it was speaking about me personally. So, so I did this crazy thing where I asked Chris if I could like rewrite his song. And he let me do it, which is really incredible. And I mean, also that being said, like the the structure in the rhyme scheme is all Chris, which was really cool because I like I was able to start out with this song that had like it already had form, and so it held me a little bit to this to this structure. And almost like because it started out being somebody else's tune, like I didn't have to hold myself to some story that I was telling about my life in a way like, like, well, that's not how it happened. So I have to say all of this. I have to tell this story. You know, I was able to like pick and choose where to insert myself. Um, and it, so it really kind of became just this huge play on words, which was more of like a really fun exercise. And I think it's definitely like there's some strong emotion that comes out in the song, but it's like I was able to have a lot of fun with it, play with it a lot. Um, so I ended up rewriting, you know, a, a handful of the lyrics uh, and really changing the meaning of the song. You know, I think before it was a song about doing drugs <laughs> and oh, it was actually about doing drugs yeah and i okay. and um it's still about abuse and you know addiction use yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah it's a it's a little bit more 
I mean, it just speaks to me a little bit more. I mean, you know, it can be about whatever the hell you want it to be about. <laughs> that's right. But um, uh, yeah, so that's where that song came from. And it's it, in two, like I, the Velvet Underground had that song heroin and like, yes, that was like a huge influence on just like the intro and outro of that song just those two chords going bouncing back, back and forth. And just like this sort of like incessant rhythm and um, repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's whatever, whatever you want, you know. If I said you tasted sweet, would you let me use you terribly? So terribly sweet. Again, to me, a more direct lyrical approach than you've taken in the past. I mean, not only writing about difficult feelings, you're kind of personifying them, right? You're addressing the sadness. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about that song a little bit? Yeah. Um, we just released that song as the first single from the record for people to hear. And um, I guess like with the premiere, I, I gave them like a quote about the song. and And it's really like, somebody was like mad at me and said, you know, you're, I don't know what your problem is. You just like, Oh man, you know, you write sad songs to make yourself miserable. And like, you just like wallow in it. And it was like, that was like really offensive to me. (laughs) And I was like, so this song is sort of like addressing that. And then also like being able to own the fact that like, I do have this, like, some people deal with depression, some people deal with this or that, some people just are, like, empathetic when they see something that's sad. Yes. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> um, but, like, and that that can manifest, that sadness or that melancholy can manifest itself in different ways, and I think it can it can make you do really terrible things, it can make you be an asshole, it can make you uh, do whatever, you know. And if you don't address it or if you don't like pay attention to it, you'll, you're really cheating yourself. You know, you're really lying to yourself. So that song definitely has some attitude, but it also like, you know, it's not, it's trying not to take itself too seriously. And also it's trying to do all of those things in one song. It's, it's an empowering song to sing about, about, uh, being sad. Yes. You know? And it's like, what are you going to do with it? Because it's there. Well, here's the deal. 
Well, I got this thing I call it sad And it calls me home And I hold this sadness Inside me And here to stay Oh, but who should leave Sometimes I stay tracks a little bit. I believe I have this right that you're a horse person, right? Yes. You kind of grew up with horses. You give riding lessons. Do I have that right? Yeah. So horses are still a part of your life. Yep. Yeah. I drove in yesterday and, and taught a riding lesson after driving back from Little Rock. Do you think that spending time with horses impacts your creative process or your your musicianship in any way? Or do you see parallels yeah. between your time with horses and your musical life? Definitely. I mean, I think that when the cool thing about being around horses is that you have to be really honest with yourself. You can't bullshit a horse. Um, if you if you try to, you'll get hurt. <laughs> hmm. I mean, you can get hurt not bullshitting a horse too. It's very it's very easy. <laughs> they can tell you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll just get yourself into a bad situation, and um, you got to really trust yourself. And you got to be really honest. Um, and uh, I think those are great things to practice in whatever you do for, for a living or, or fun or anything like that. But I think definitely it's healthy to do if you're trying to, like, tell the deeper truths in the world or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. if you're trying to access those really, really um, strong, deep universal human emotions uh you know you do, you got to take that serious you got to take yourself seriously you got to take your situation seriously um mm-hmm. is this what you tell people that you're teaching writing to some of these things yeah absolutely um it's a it's a pretty powerful thing i mean you know yeah. it's like really really strange that we ride horses because it's like not natural you know it's like having a predator just jump on a prey animal's back and like ride around is really weird. <laughs> um, so there has to be a process involved. Yeah, there's a process and, and it's a fine, fine balance. Um, you know, it's a balancing, balancing act. And um, <laughs> I guess literally and figuratively. Uh, kind of like performing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's also, it's also like dangerous, you know, it's not, right. it's not like, if somebody's dog is misbehaving and they like jump up on you, it's like, that's obnoxious. But like if a horse makes a wrong move or even slips or something, you know, slips that something happens, like it could, you're just, you can be broken in like an instant. Um, so there, there's a really, there's this heightened, I don't know. It's, it's exciting. You know, yeah. and and it can be really unnerving for people. I mean, I grew up around horses, so I'm kind of like, I have this other sense. Like when I walk, when I walk around, I'm like always looking at the ground, just like seeing if there's anything a horse could step on, or like, oh, that would be dangerous. You know, I have this sort yes. of other sense about me. And but other people, you know, are really really scared of horses and how big they are, and for good reason. And it's really really 
powerful to watch somebody be able to work with a horse who's incredibly intimidated by them and then also address like what's going on inside of them too well, and, i have a confession to make i am not comfortable around horses well you're gonna have to come to texas and we'll, <laughs> we'll get you on a horse but i think one thing you're going to be doing is hitting the road a lot for the new record right? definitely which is why writing postcards and keeping myself holding myself to this this practice is really good but well, but you yeah have, you have you have my address i'll accept postcards okay, okay um, great let me ask you one more question that I kind of ask everyone. Um, it's kind of a big picture thing. If When you think about what you're trying to do as an artist, writer, performer, is there maybe something you're shooting for, like a holy grail, a, a, a type of song you want to write, an experience you want to give, or, a, or something, a body of work you're trying to create? Is there some kind of guiding principle maybe you're shooting for, whether it's achievable or not, whether it's, you know, like, I would ultimately like to create something that. Hmm. I would, it's really important that I, especially as a performer and not just a writer, like, that I am able to connect on some sort of universal level. You know, when, when people respond to my music, that's incredible. Um, I don't know. I think we're all trying to, we're all striving to just feel comfortable in our own skin and like, mm -hmm. You know, I think with each new song, it's like, oh my God, I think I'm that much closer. You know, like I really yeah. hear myself in that or I really feel myself, feel like myself when I play that song. Um, and some are, are truer than others. Um, not that there's anything about dishonest about the ones that aren't, don't feel that close. But um, yeah, I think we're all just kind of, not whatever I'm speaking for myself but um, as yes. an artist you know like to feel totally comfortable in which I don't know if that will ever happen but to feel comfortable in your own skin and and in what you're saying and feel like maybe it could could be doing other people good uh, great I don't know if I really answered your question but I think I said something good <laughs> you said a few things that were good all right well we can leave it there I, I really appreciate your taking the time of course. To uh, talk with us, and we're very excited about the new record. I think it's great. Cheers. Thank you very much. Um, I right, can't Carson. wait to come back. All right. How about being young? How about being old? How about wanting something warm just to hold you in your cold? How about take me in your arms? Tonight and feel the way I fold We're choosing teams to play the game But it's fate, but haven't they forgot my name? So now I'm barefoot on the blacktop But it smells like it might rain Tell me, friend, have you ever felt this way? Upon the hour. Pull the clock Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell You What, the podcast. I really enjoyed my talk with Carson, and I look forward to catching her show on a current tour. You can find tour date info at carsonmaconemusic.com. So get on out, take in a show, 
give the great new album Carousel some spins, ride some horses, send some postcards, spread the word. Please check out our other episodes of our podcast at tellyouwhatpodcast.com or on the Apple and Google podcast places. More great guests are ahead, so watch this space. Until next time, remember, music is the best. How about take me in your arms tonight and feel the way I fall?